welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. We are proud to share rheumatologist Dr. Scott Sashin's presentation on Sjogren's Syndrome at the LDN Research Trust 2019 conference. Today's presentation will discuss a common autoimmune condition called Sjogren's Syndrome, and we'll learn how using LDN may help patients with this problem. Sjogren's syndrome is a chronic condition characterized by dryness of the eyes, mouth, and other organs. Flu-like symptoms such as fatigue as well as muscle and joint pain are very common. It is considered an autoimmune disease where the body attacks itself. The incidence in the U.S. population is probably greater than 1% and is much more common in women than men. The typical age of onset occurs after 50 but adolescents and young adults may be affected. While dryness of the eyes and or mouth are the cardinal features of Sjogren's, both symptoms are not uncommon in the population, and specifically in older patients. In a patient with dry eyes and mouth that persists daily for over three months and not felt related to medication or other causes, the presence of the antibodies anti-SSA and anti-SSB are diagnostic for Sjogren's. These antibodies can also be found in lupus patients without symptoms of Sjogren's. If the anti-SSA and SSB tests are negative and a diagnosis is needed, a company called Bausch & Loam offers a blood test that can pick up other antibodies felt specific for early Sjogren's. While these tests are useful, they are not currently considered diagnostic. Other lab abnormalities that occur, but are even less specific for Sjogren's, include an elevated ANA, or anti-nuclear antibody, as well as an elevated rheumatoid factor. High measures of inflammation, including sedimentation rate and C-reactive protein, are common. If the routine blood tests are normal, a biopsy of the minor salivary glands found inside the lower lip may reveal specific inflammation characteristic of Sjogren's. In addition, an ophthalmologist can do testing in the office to assess the degree of dryness in the eye. Normally, the immune system produces antibodies to attack and kill foreign invaders, such as a virus or bacteria. In autoimmune conditions such as Sjogren's syndrome, antibodies attack normal tissue. In patients with Sjogren's, the antibodies have a predilection for glands that produce moisture, including eyes, mouth, skin, gastrointestinal tract, and vaginal area. In addition, an inflammatory response occurs in the body and is associated with joint pain and fatigue. The cause of Sjogren's is unknown, but it is suspected that some type of trigger from the environment, such as a virus, causes the syndrome to occur. Patients who develop Sjogren's are genetically predisposed to do so, but typically do not have a family member with the diagnosis. 
there are a number of FDA-approved treatments aimed at improving both dry eyes and mouth. For dry mouth, two medications, Salogen and Evazac, can stimulate the salivary glands to produce more saliva. While patients may experience relief immediately, it typically may take up to three months on the medication to get the maximum benefit. Some patients taking the saliva stimulants will experience excessive sweating. Other side effects of this therapy include, but are not limited to decreased vision at night or heart rhythm disturbances. Patients with certain types of glaucoma may not be able to take these medications. Patients with Sjogren's syndrome are at increased risk of tooth decay and cavities, so good dental hygiene with regular brushing and dental visits are important. Detergents, which are common in toothpaste brands, may cause dryness. Consider other brands such as Tom's Children's Toothpaste with fluoride or biotin. Additional fluoride paste may be needed if not contained, contained in the toothpaste. Secondary oral candidiasis or yeast may develop due to chronic dryness. This type of infection is characterized by redness or white discoloration of the tongue or oral mucosa. Antifungal medications may be needed periodically. Candy and gum sweetened with xylitol may help dry mouth and improve the health of the saliva. Artificial saliva products are also available. Sipping water during the day may help as well as avoiding foods that may predispose to dryness, including canned soups and meat, mint-flavored dental hygiene products, and cinnamon. Dry eyes can be treated with the prescription medications Restasis and Zydra. Both Restasis and Zydra may take several months to work. They improve dryness by decreasing inflammation. Prior to starting these medications, an eye doctor may recommend a punctal occlusion. This procedure blocks the tiny openings in the eye where the tears drain so as to increase the amount of moisture. The use of artificial tears without preservatives during the day and moisturizing ointment at night may also be useful and is typically the first-line treatment. Vaginal dryness may be a problem after menopause. Helpful products such as topical estrogen are available by prescription, and lubricants can be found over the counter. Nasal dryness may also occur, which can be treated with saline sprays, while skin dryness can be treated with moisturizers. Avoiding dry climates such as Colorado may be very useful. At this time, there are no FDA-approved medications to treat the fatigue and musculoskeletal pain that is so common and may be debilitating. When fatigue is an issue, it is important to try to improve the quality of sleep through good sleep hygiene and regular aerobic exercise. Questioning patients about snoring or other unusual sounds at night is a good clue for possible sleep apnea. Sleep tips can be found online. In those patients with suspected fibromyalgia, treatment should be directed to helping that condition, including sleep aids that are not drying and the use of medications such as gabapentin, Lyrica, or Cymbalta. LDN has gained a lot of attention in treating the pain and fatigue associated with fibromyalgia, but may also be an effective treatment for the fatigue and pain associated with Sjogren's syndrome. Plaquenil is a common prescription medication used to treat rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. In addition to helping the symptoms of RA, it may also slow down and prevent joint damage. 
Plaquenil is a common treatment for lupus as it helps with skin issues, fatigue, joint pain, and preventing other complications of lupus. Plaquenil is used commonly in children's, although there is no documented evidence that it helps fatigue. On the other hand, Plaquenil may help the musculoskeletal manifestations of Sjogren's, often described as muscle and joint achiness, and some people will use the term flu-like symptoms. Plaquenil, which is hydroxychloroquine is the generic, is a relatively safe medication but may take anywhere from two to six months to help and may not help at all. Of interest, Plaquenil is felt to help patients due to its blocking of toll-like receptors, thereby diminishing inflammation. Coincidentally, blocking these toll-like receptors is one of the suspected mechanisms by which LDN exerts its anti-inflammatory benefit. Plaquenil is associated with eye toxicity, so regular eye exams are required. Fortunately, most patients do not get eye damage, and if it occurs, it typically does not develop until at least five years after starting the medication. Plaquenil may uncommonly be associated with heart rhythm abnormalities due to its potential prolongation of what is called the QCC interval. The problem is more likely to occur if the drug is combined with other medications with a similar risk. It is worthwhile one time to obtain an EKG several weeks after starting Plaquenil and before starting therapy if the patient is on another medication with this potential side effect. Other side effects include skin rash, typically in the first month, increased skin pigmentation, muscle abnormalities, and depression, although these side effects are not uh, common. A more severe skin rash can occur early on, uh, but again, this is unusual. Corticosteroids can be very effective in treating the constitutional symptoms that is fatigue, joint, and muscle pain associated with Sjogren's, but due to long-term side effects of steroids, these medications are typically avoided except for short-term use. Sometimes very low doses may be given long-term. Other medications which may help joint pain include Tylenol and NSAIDs, such as Aleve, Advil, or similar prescription medications. Quinacrine, a cousin of Plaquenil, is sometimes used for joint pain and fatigue. As opposed to Plaquenil, it is much less likely to affect the eyes, but can be associated with elevated liver test and rarely bone marrow toxicity, which can be life-threatening. The development of a characteristic rash called a lichenoid rash can be an early clue to this problem and the medication would need to be stopped. Occasionally, patients may develop a yellowish discoloration of their skin which is reversible once the medication is discontinued. I'd like to present a case study in a Sjogren's patient taking LDN. AA is a 47-year-old female with a prior diagnosis of suspected Sjogren's syndrome and fibromyalgia who presented to me with severe persistent pain and fatigue. Previously under the care of several rheumatologists, her diagnosis of Sjogren's was based and a history of dry eyes and dry mouth. She also had lab abnormalities that were consistent with Sjogren's, including an elevated rheumatoid factor and high measures of inflammation. She did not have a definite diagnosis due to the absence of the anti-SSA and SSB antibodies. Her ANA was also negative. 
her sedimentation rate had been persistently elevated for at least five years prior to her visit with me without other explanation. In 2012, her sed rate was 61, the normal less than 26. 2016 was also quite elevated to 48. High markers of inflammation are typical for Sjogren's syndrome, but are not typical in patients with fibromyalgia. This led me to conclude that her current symptomatology was related to the Sjogren's and not the fibromyalgia. This patient's past medical history included depression, elevated liver tests, neuropathy, stroke, and seizures. She also had a remote history of breast cancer. Her pertinent current medications at the time of her visit included tramadol, Tylenol, meloxicam, which is an NSAID, and Plaquenil. All these medicines were prescribed to help her with pain. She had failed Cymbalta and Lyrica, two common treatments for fibromyalgia. She was taking Seroquel for sleep and stasis for dry eyes. Her exam did confirm the trigger points in four quadrants, as typically seen with fibromyalgia. Two weeks after starting naltrexone at a dose of 1.5 milligrams and then three milligrams on week two, she noted that she felt terrific. Her sed rate was now normal at 25, and most likely the first time it had been normal for five years. In fact, she told me that she felt the best she had felt in five years. Since she was feeling so well, she elected not to increase the dose of her naltrexone. She was seen three months later and continued to feel well with her Sjogren's and fibromyalgia. She denied any pain or morning stiffness. Previously, it would take her all day to feel better. Her lab on that visit showed a sed rate that was down to 20, again in the normal range. She was again seen in follow-up three months later and continued to feel well on three milligrams of naltrexone. Her sed rate was now down to 15. She did have a slight elevation of her liver test similar to her baseline results. On questioning, she did note some relief with dry eyes, but no change with dry mouth. She continues to do well on LDN 10 months after starting therapy. Lupus has similarities to Sjogren's syndrome in that it is also a chronic autoimmune condition of unknown cause. In addition to skin involvement, patients with lupus may sometimes present with involvement of their heart, kidney, or central nervous system, and they can be quite serious. On the other hand, it is quite common that lupus patients may only present with fatigue and musculoskeletal symptoms similar to that what is seen with Sjogren's syndrome. Plaquenil is a very effective medicine for lupus patients. As a result, due to some similarities in their mechanism of action, it would not be surprising if LDN was of help for lupus patients. I'd like to present this case report of using LDN as a treatment in mild lupus. CC is a 67-year-old male with a history of lupus. While he does have a positive ANA and SSA antibody, as one might expect with Sjogren's, he does not have dry eyes or dry mouth, and these markers are felt to be uh, consistent with his diagnosis of lupus. His inflammation tests were normal. He did complain of debilitating joint achiness and fatigue. Had a history of coronary disease and takes statins with an associated elevation of his liver test, felt secondary to these medications. His symptoms in the past responded very well to steroids and Plaquenil, but unfortunately had to stop Plaquenil 
due to retinal toxicity. He elected to try LDN. He began naltrexone at a dose of 1.5 milligrams, which was increased weekly to a total daily dose of 4.5 milligrams. One month after starting treatment, he noted that his pain was 80% better. Prior to starting LDN, he had been taking anywhere from 2 to 10 milligrams of Medrol for over a year. When he started the LDN, he was on 4 milligrams of Medrol. Two months after starting treatment, he had a significant drop in his white count and moderate decrease in his platelet count. While an effect from LDN could not be excluded, the cause was felt viral-related. He continued to stay on the low-dose naltrexone, and despite staying on therapy, his labs normalized, indicating that the naltrexone was not felt to be the culprit for these uh, transient lab abnormalities. As of his last visit, nine months after starting naltrexone, his fatigue and pain persist, but is clinically better, and he has been able to decrease his medrol to four milligrams one day, alternating with two milligrams on other days. He is considering adding CBD oil to try to do better with his pain management. It is postulated that LDN's beneficial effect on the immune system can be attributed to blocking opioid receptors and suppressing inflammatory cell function. Blocking of the opioid receptors present in the cells of the immune system contributes to an upregulation or increase in the production of endorphins. These endorphins can act in a way to correct immune dysfunction. Inflammatory cell mediators can be suppressed also by an increase in endorphins and may have implications in a number of illnesses, including but not limited to multiple sclerosis, inflammatory bowel disease, and possibly autoimmune diseases, such as lupus and Sjogren's syndrome. In addition to its effect on endorphins, it is postulated that low-dose naltrexone inhibits toll-like receptors. These receptors are an essential part of the innate immune system that function to provide a first-line defense against bacteria invading the body. Activation of the toll-like receptor stimulates production of inflammatory substances. Again, what is so interesting and exciting is that the commonly used medication for autoimmune disease, Plaquenil, also exerts its beneficial effect by blocking these receptors. The two patients presented were not taking potent immunosuppressants. Sometimes potent immunosuppressant medications, such as cyclosporin, imurant, cytoxin, Celsept, or high-dose steroids are given to patients with autoimmune conditions, particularly lupus. While not apparent from the medical literature, there has been some concern about whether or not the use of LDN would limit the effectiveness of these types of medications. A recent review looked at patients with inflammatory bowel disease who were treated with LDN, and this article was published in the Journal of Crohn's Colitis 2018. The authors reviewed 582 patients with inflammatory bowel disease who had received LDN. More than half of this cohort used the LDN on a regular basis. In addition, the patients have been treated with immunosuppressants including, but not limited to, corticosteroids, cyclosporin, imuran, and TNF inhibitors, such as Humira. Of interest, there is no evidence that LDN caused an exacerbation of their condition. In fact, a significant number of patients, 29%, 
who are regular users of LDN actually were able to decrease the use of these standard of care medications. In summary, LDN may have a role in treating joint pain and fatigue associated with common immune diseases, such as Sjogren's syndrome or lupus. At this time, it is unclear if LDN has a beneficial effect on the dry eyes and mouth that are often a major symptom of Sjogren's patients. Further research, looking at large numbers of patients, would be required to determine if LDN therapy will provide significant clinical benefit in these patients. Thank you very much for your time and attention. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.